In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears, real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. Don't miss one minute of the action. Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Okay, you know, like at camps and stuff like this, you take the ball out, you ain't getting the ball back. <laughs> like, you the last one up the court, they already did their thing. So I stopped there, and I just got into a rhythm and started hooping. The Lakers should sign Trey Young this summer. They got to kind of start preparing for like LeBron's last year, this year, next year, whenever it is. And I feel like a pick and roll with AD and a guy like Trey Young would be dead. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome to All the Smoke, a production of The Black Effect and Our Heart Radio in partnership with Showtime. Welcome back, man. Season two of All the Smoke. We got a real special guest. What's up with your Brody with the virtual handshake? I'm going to tell y'all something that I never told nobody. I want All the Smoke. Welcome back to another edition of All the Smoke. Jack, what's up with you? My brother, what's happening? Hey, congratulations too, boy. Congratulations, man. You talking to me? What you mean? Yeah, I'm talking to you. Yeah, man, I, I just sold the uh, show to Showtime. Oh, yeah, congrats. We on our way, bro. We on our way. Appreciate that, appreciate that. Man, we got a great guest today, man. It's not about me today. It's about our next guest, uh, someone I played on the same team with, but he got hurt at the very beginning of the year, so I never got to experience uh, actually playing with him. But uh, someone that I can't... He probably dunked on both of us. Yeah, I mean, someone I came in the league with, I knew right from the jump this was a bad motherfucker, man. So uh, everyone welcome my brother, Amari Stoudemire, to the show. The man-child. The man-child. What's up with you, man? How's everything? Man, I can't can't call him. Everything good. Uh, Glad to hear that. So what's 2020 been like for you? Roller coaster, you're obviously for the country. You accept the job as a as a coach for the Brooklyn Nets. Family's healthy. Talk to me. Yeah, man, it was crazy, man. I mean, the initial the initial just started out with me um, playing overseas. Uh, so I went over to China for a few months, then went over to Israel uh, and finished up over there. Um, won a championship, yeah. right? You won a championship, yeah. right? Yeah. So MVP. We got the chip. Yeah. We got the chip yeah. over there. Got the Finals MVP. And then COVID happened. Yeah, appreciate it. Corona happened, and then I, I moved back to Miami. And so I was I was here in Miami for a while, then I ended up getting a job over with the Nets. So it's been a pretty it's been a pretty uh pretty good year so far for me. Did you think or do you is it something you always wanted to do was was to get into coaching and, and player development or to kind of come out of left field? Came out of left field. I, I I never thought about coaching. I mean, obviously I got my youth programs in Florida, so I've been involved in grassroots with Nike since 2005 of like trying to develop young players. I always have my Skills Academy camp every year. Uh, also with Nike, 
uh, throughout the years. So I always kind of been in that player development space, but never thought that I'd be like a coach or working with a, with, a, with an NBA team. How excited are you to be back working with Steve? Man, it's, it's, it's a fun atmosphere, bro. Like, like honest with you, you know, Steve and I got a relationship that we built back in Phoenix. And, and so and so now to be kind of back with Steve and seeing him out as, as a coach and, and, and being back in the locker room with him reminds me of like the times we had in Phoenix. So it's a great it's a great atmosphere for the both of us. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, y'all have some great times in Phoenix. We'll definitely get to that later. Um, your transition, obviously, from just finishing up playing to now coach, what is kind of your excitement level as a coach now because you're coaching both of them to see a healthy Kyrie Irving and a healthy Kevin Durant uh, on the floor, you being able to coach them? Yeah, you know what, man? It's been exciting, bro, watching these boys in uh, training camp, how they get after it, the way they compete. Both of them playing at a high level, both of them healthy. Um, and I, I, I've really never seen uh, two players this good before. And mm -hmm. I, I've experienced a lot of players. I've played with a lot of players. I've been around the game for a long time. But I don't think I've ever seen two players as good as Kyrie and KD. Mm -hmm. I feel that. Definitely feel that. What's it like? Uh, what's the energy <laughs> and the vibe like? Would you guys have a good mix now of, you know, two championship superstars with a great core young group uh what's that mixture and chemistry been like uh although you know short uh in in training camp so far well you know what man i kind of leave i kind of leave it to steve to kind of handle you know a lot of those uh a lot of those player player development courses and situations going on with the, with the team but when i've what i've experienced so far is that everyone has great chemistry everyone has great vibe mm -hmm. everyone's like mm -hmm. focused on on the goals um, and I'm just doing my part by just being kind of that vocal guy as well and helping them out with development. Any guys need any help along the way as far as improving their skills, I'm always available for that. I'm always giving them game, you know, whether it's on the court game or off the court game. Um, and so and so they appreciate it. Both are needed. Yeah. You, you played for the Knicks. Now you're on the Brooklyn side. I know you've been hearing a lot of chitter-chatter. <laughs> Talk about that. Yeah, you know what? Playing for the Knicks, man. Uh, I'm, all, I'm, all, I'm always gonna be a, a Knicks guy. You know what I'm saying? Like far as like, you know, the time of my time playing with with, with the Knicks was uh, was, a, was a moment in history for me that I would never forget. You know, but then life goes on and experiences happen, and then you know, opportunity comes along the way. You can't really, you can't really not take advantage of opportunities when they come your way uh, because right. it may not never happen again. Uh, and so, right. when two time got the job with Brooklyn. Um, you know, I reached out to him and said, hey, man, I'm here if you need me uh, for your support, whatever that may be. And that's that's how I kind of, you know, got involved with the Nets. Mm -hmm. Nice. Uh, it was a quick turnaround, obviously, just finishing the season a little bit over for the champions, about 70, 70 something days, 70 plus days uh, removed from the bubble. Now we're in uh, a space where um, we're just going to have to put a lot of trust in players and organizations to keep themselves as safe as possible. Have you guys discussed or even thought about what it's going to be like moving around now? Because obviously you lived a certain way as a player and it was, you know, we moved around so freely. Now as a coach, you know, we kind of have a lot of restrictions on us. Have you guys talked or have you thought about what it's going to be like traveling now and having so much responsibility to try to keep yourself as safe as possible? Yeah, man, the, the, the main part is being safe and, and following all the guidelines possible to keep yourself away from, from COVID. Uh, so obviously staying sanitized, wearing your mask, keep your social distancing. And then traveling-wise, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a different scenario. I'm sure you're going to travel with less staffing. Um, 
going to try to figure out ways to, to, to stay safe while on the road. Um, and so, you know, we have we have a code of conduct that kind of keeps us, you know, in line with with the rules going forward as far as COVID is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, your upbringing, a Florida boy, um, bounced around a lot from school to school. Talk to us and tell us what your childhood was like. Man, it was a struggle, bro. My childhood, my childhood was a major struggle, man. Uh, my mom, my mom, you know, was always, you know, she was always getting locked up, you know what I'm saying? So she was in and out of jail basically all my childhood life. My dad died when I was 12. My brother was a gangster. He was always in the streets and getting locked up for selling drugs. Um, and so I had to basically raise my little brother on my own at times. Um, and so I went to, when I played, you know, basketball, I didn't play organized basketball until I was 14. But I played with the parks all the time. I was always going to the parks and playing basketball. And then so, um, and even up until I got into the NBA, man, my mom was still getting locked up. You feel me? So it was always a struggle. I had to make like, you know, um, adult decisions at a young age. I went from I went to six different high schools, trying to trying to make sure I made the right decision. Each high school was different because they saw how good I was. They tried to take advantage of the opportunity, and I was on game enough to know that I wasn't trying to get finessed by any of those situations. And so I would, it forced me to transfer to school from school to school to try to find the right situation for me. Um, but then once I got to the NBA, I was able to find a sense of like uh, uh, consistency. You know what I'm saying? And when I found that consistency, I was able to now focus on the game of basketball and just kind of go from there. What did you hold on to or what inspired you or helped you get through? You know, I mean, as a 14-year-old starting to play basketball, you're, you're becoming a man. But there's so much up and down and, like you said, inconsistency in your life. What was the thing that kept you on track? Because I think at the end of the day, you only, really, you only really got a chance to play, what, two years of high school basketball? Yeah, I played. I first played organized basketball at 14. And I was drafted at 18. Right. So it was, it was, it was a quick turnaround between my first But you didn't game. really get to play. You didn't really get to play that whole four years, though, right? You didn't really. You, no, you missed exactly. some seasons in high school, right? Yeah. So only, 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 yeah, exactly right. I only played two years of high school basketball. Yeah. So to think about yeah. you were the number nine pick in the draft after playing basketball for just two years. Like, <laughs> that shit is fucking crazy. Yep. And then I went on to get rookie. You're the first to ever get rookie out of high school. Yeah. Two, yeah, 2003 yeah. Rookie of the Year. What yeah. was it like? I mean, like you said, you finally found some stability, some stability and, uh, you know, a, a normal routine, and you were able to just focus on basketball. How good did that feel? Obviously, your play on the court showed you won Rookie of the Year, first team all uh, rookie. But how did that feel inside? Like, okay, I, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I made it. I know what I'm doing on this now that I could just focus on hoop. Yeah, you know what, what kept me grounded throughout that whole process of my childhood years, man, I always, I always stay locked into God. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I always said my prayers every night. You know, so my mother always instilled to me to always say my prayers and really stay focused on God and always, you know, pray for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. So I would always like focus on on that. That kind of kept me focused. It kept me humble and it kept me like it kept me being my own person. So I never really fell down the leadership qualities of of the wrong crowd. I never got involved in that space. So it kept me locked in. And once I got to the league. That continued, but then now I got like veteran players I can talk to. At the time, it was Penny Hardaway, Steph Marbury, Tom Gugliotta, you know what I'm saying? So I would, I, would, I, would, I would just soak in game from them, and they helped me kind of, you know, learn how to become a man within the NBA space. Mm-hmm. How did AAU play a role in your development and exposure? You know, AAU, AAU was, uh, was key for me, man, because when I first started playing basketball, 
I was like not known in the state of Florida. Then I started playing AU basketball. I became like top 100 my freshman year. And then every summer when we hit that circuit, you know, so you're going to play against players from different parts of the United States and you're seeing the talent and there's hype behind these guys. You got so-and-so top five in the country. You play against him and you, you know, so you balled out that game and now your rankings go up from a top 100 to top 10 and you play against the number one player in the country. You out, you know, so you, you ball him out. Who were some of the number one, not to cut you off, who were some of the number one players that you overcame by the time you took the number one spot uh, your senior year? My my freshman year was a guy named Antonio Lawrence from Jacksonville, mm-hmm. Florida. Uh, mm-hmm. He was like he was like a, he was like a freak of nature, man. Six seven point guard, bounce crazy <clears throat> bounce windmill all that freshman year. It was crazy. Um, and then my and then along the way it was like it was like Shavlin Randolph was top five, Ray Felton was top five, Carmelo Anthony was top mm-hmm. three. You know what I'm saying? You had Chris Bosh that was top ten. Um, and then, and then in class after me was LeBron James. LeBron was already top, top two, top three, and he was a year under us. And, and the year before us, you had Tyson Chandler was top, was number one in the country. You had Eddie Curry was number number two in the country. Kwame Brown was top five. And so every time I saw any of those guys, I played against all of them except LeBron. But anytime I saw them on the circuit, I was at their head with no, you know what I'm saying? Like because I wanted I wanted to reach that number one spot. Mm-hmm. Kill or be killed. So 2002, McDonald's All-American game at uh, Madison Square Garden. You get a chance to play with Melo. What was that like? Oh, man. You know, Melo and I go way back, man. It's from AAU basketball. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, for us to be in the McDonald's game, we're hanging out. You know what I'm saying? Like like, like homeboys do. We're just kind of kicking and having fun, enjoying the time, enjoying the experience of New York. You know, playing at Madison Square Garden as 17-year-olds, we're like, man, this is – you know what I'm saying? We're in heaven. You feel me? So and then playing mm-hmm. playing with him in the game, you know, I saw the talent from Melo when he was in high school. Offensive juggernaut. He already had the same pull-up game. He had the, he had, you know what I'm saying, at that time high school three pointers shooting 40% from the three. He still had the handles and all that even back then. Uh and so it was fun playing with him. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot. And every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. Don't miss one minute of the action. Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game, King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. 
Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think. Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the One Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. Who, who was recruiting you in co- uh, coming out of high school? What colleges were recruiting you? Um, man, I got uh, North Carolina, um, Memphis, Florida, all the Florida schools, um, uh, NC State. But everybody knew I was going to high school. Everybody knew I was going to the NBA. And then a lot, of, a lot of colleges also a little bit skeptical of me because I had a troubling background. You know, what I'm saying one that I, it wasn't yeah. that I was getting in trouble is the fact that my family was always in the trouble. You feel what I'm saying? It was always inconsistency. Yeah. With me growing up, you feel me? So a lot of the schools were association. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of schools were a little bit kind of skeptical about about it, and I was going to the league anyways. When did you make that decision? When did you know that it was league bound? I was trying to get to the league from my from my from my freshman year in high school. <laughs> he said, "Fuck it, I'm going." Man, listen, man. I was trying. I was trying to get out the hood, bro. Like I, I was already yeah, like I feel it. My mindset was already That's set it. on NBA. You feel me? And then I had a, I had a role model too. I never really spoke to when I was in high school, but I kind of watched him from afar. Tracy McGrady, you know what I'm saying? Mm. T-Mac, T-Mac from the same hood. He's from like a few a few cities over. But when I saw Matt go to high school, I'm like, shit, I can do the same thing. You feel me? So, mm. so I'm like, my freshman year, I was locked on going out of high school. And so I just kept pursuing that throughout my entire high school career. Yeah, you you just you just answered my next question. I was gonna ask you: Did you identify to KG, Kobe, and T Mac going to yourself, following in their footsteps? And you just answered that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, Mac, Mac for sure, Mac for sure, uh, one of the Polk County's finest. You know what I'm saying? I watched I watched Mac play. He went to Mount Zion. I went to Mount Zion. 
But then you also got like, you know, obviously KG who came out of high school, Kobe came out of high school, you know what I'm saying? You know, and, and so all those high school guys, I feel like we're a fraternity, man. Ain't number but a few of us, and the guys can't do it no more, unfortunately. But for the guys who were able to go out of high school, that's a group in history that can never be duplicated. Yeah, yeah. Very few players come straight out of high school and make an impact um, the way you do. What, what was it like? You know what I mean? So, like I said, you jumped literally from a few years of just playing basketball in general to to being a rookie of the year in the NBA. What was that first year like? Man, listen, when I got to the NBA, there's a lot of terms that I didn't understand. I didn't know what up and under was. I didn't know what the, you know what I'm saying, like you dribble left, Euro step, all that. Like I, you know what I'm saying, a lot of those terms, you know, I, I didn't quite understand what they were because I was a, I was a high school player and I only played to a high school basketball. And when I was in high school, my coaches was like, just go and play. Because, you know what I'm saying, I was just dominant. So they, they didn't really coach much and try to teach mm-hmm. me the game. Um, and so my rookie year, I was learning game by game, practice by practice, different terms, how to shoot, how to dribble, how to, you know what I'm saying, all these different things I developed while I was in the league. And so I happened to somewhat critique my game and, and watch film after every game, every practice uh, to improve each and every day. Hmm. Who were some of those people you looked up to as you were learning? Were there players in the league, maybe teammates? Who helped you with that learning curve uh, being so young? Yeah, my teammates for sure. You know, uh, my teammates for sure helped, helped along the way. Um, and then I also had some, had some pretty cool young guys that was with me too, man. Me, Joe Johnson, uh, mm-hmm. Sean Marion. Uh, we had my man Alton Ford at the time. So we had we had a nice group of young guys who we, we always had ourselves accountable and trying to get better. So we'll play one on one every day after practice, and we'll stay. You know what I'm saying? We we'll just stay locked in on trying to improve. Uh, and then we had a family bond off the court. You know, my mom, his mom, our family all got along. You know what I'm saying? So we all hung out and had barbecues and cookouts. Uh, so we had a fun vibe. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace to the homie Alta Ford, man. Yeah. That was the homie, man. That's my brother. Yeah, man. Blessed memory, man. Absolutely. Hey, 2003, we got a chance to play against y'all in the playoffs, in the first round of playoffs. You know, talk, talk about uh, when you got a chance to battle against Duncan. I remember you hit that backboard shot to send it to overtime. Uh, I, actually, I, they told me to close. They told me to show and get back and let Dave come back to you because they said you wasn't going to shoot it. And we all know it took Dave – Two hours to get from one end of the court to the other end of the time. So you know, so you know he wasn't closing out on a three-pointer. So I showed Matt, I did everything I was supposed to do, because you know, Pop take me out for farting. So I went over there and I faked to him and I went back to my man and Amari shot it off the glass. Talk about that first round, man. Yeah, it was incredible, man. It was my first time in the playoffs. Uh, it was my rookie year, and it was always a battle between who's gonna be rookie of the year between me and Yao Ming. And Yamin, Yamin was an incredible talent, man. Six eight player from China had a major, major hype behind him. And so, um, in that game, playing against the Spurs, playing against y'all in the playoffs, I wanted to try to establish myself as like a the next young dominant four man. You know what I'm saying? I'm playing against Tim Duncan and David Robinson, which I got a chance to like really like set myself up properly. And so when mm-hmm. that shot when that shot came to me, I it was no hesitation for me, man. I shot it. You know what I'm saying? It went off the glass and went into overtime. And I think Steph ended up winning the game in overtime with a game-winning shot uh, later on that game. From half court. Yeah. 
from half court off a missed free throw. But look, to, to, even though y'all we, we beat y'all four four games in four games, bro, you were dominant that series. You were the only person we didn't have an answer for. And what was special was at the beginning of that series, Marbury was killing Tony Parker. Right. I mean, killing. We had Speedy Claxton, another New York guard, to come in and kind of keep up with Steph. So that saved us. But you, if Steph would have kept getting off, we probably would have won seven games. We probably wouldn't have won that series. But you definitely was dominant, bro. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Appreciate that. Uh, the two, the next season, a uh, lot of injuries. Uh, Mike D'Antoni takes over. You guys missed the playoffs. What was the new philosophy and energy? Did, what did it feel like? Because you guys kind of – Started building there. Obviously, Steve uh, Nash came. But what was it like with that new era of basketball that you guys took over? You know, it was it was similar to what we did in Golden State a few years before, but you guys kind of took it to that next level. What kind of excitement did he bring to your guys' team? Well, you know, we uh, we traded we traded like six players. You know what I'm saying? We traded Steph, Penny, Googs. We traded like six guys, man, and so. We finished that season, you know, playing the season with like eight players. You know what I'm saying? So we were like, man, we got to do something. We had our core group between myself, Sean Marion, Joe Johnson. You know what I'm saying? We had some young guys with, with Leandro Barbosa. So we had a nice little young squad. We just needed some more veteran players and we needed a point guard. And that was my deal. I wanted to, we needed a point guard. And so I was just, I was, you know, expressing that to like the management in the front office that we got to get a point guard. We need a point guard, someone who control the game. And so we brought, when Mike D'Antoni came on board as head coach, and then we brought Steve in, both of those guys had a similar philosophy for us, like offensively driven. So um, it happened, it happened naturally, man. Uh, Steve and I never did like time of just like putting in a crazy amount of time of learning how to do pick and rolls together. It just happened naturally. Mike D'Antoni offense, when he put the offense in, um, everything just happened to flow and it with a with a natural, with a natural flow. And that's how we got out to a great, you know, a great start the following year. We won like I think 60 some games. And we just, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying, we hit the ground running that year. What was it like building chemistry with Steve on the court? On and off the floor, excuse me. Yeah, you know, on the court, man, it was um it was easy, bro. I mean, it was it, it, it was an easy deal for us because Nash and I, you know, it happened organically. You know what I'm saying? Nash was the past first point guard, and I was a player who wanted to set the tone and try to dominate every chance I got. You know what I'm saying? So anytime, anytime Nash dropped the ball off to me, I'm catching flight in flight mm. range. You mm. feel what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So and I'm and I'm attacking mm -hmm. the rim. So it's, it wasn't like I'm going in there and trying to draw fouls or shoot floaters and lay the ball up. Nah, you wasn't doing you know that. What I'm, saying? I'm, att I'm, I'm attacking the rim, and so every time Nash drop him off, you know, it's like it's like an easy combination between him and I. And so when you got that type of combination going, and then teams got to respect that, and you surround that with some shooters and a few playmakers, you got a great formula. And off the court, yeah. off the court, Steve was one of the homies, man. Steve, Steve going to the clubs yeah. with us. We've been to clubs, you know. We go to the, you know, what I'm saying to the vibe clubs. You feel what I'm saying? I'm like, hold on. 
Hey, Steve is doing Hey, Steve is comfortable in there. Yeah, hey, yeah, hey, Steve, yeah. hey, a lot of people don't know. Steve is cool as fuck. Steve got some, Steve got some, Steve, Steve got some yeah, digging in him. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And that helped, that helped with the team chemistry too, man. Like we saw Steve in the spots where we hung out at and he came and hung out with us and kicked it with us for a little bit. And then the next day on the court, we like, man, listen, we got even a better, stronger bond now. Yeah. So it became more of a family atmosphere. Yeah. Well, that leads me to my next question. How fun was it once everybody vibed? Obviously, your and Steve's was effortless and, and most important, but like you said, you got, you know, Sean Marion, Joe Johnson, Quentin Richardson, Barbosa. You guys got a real squad. Whenever we played y'all, we knew we were in for a motherfucking track meet war, but what was it? How, how fun was it playing with that group of guys? Yeah, for sure. Every time we played y'all in Golden State, boy, we had to, we had to make sure we strap up. You know, yeah, so that's be hot. That's be yeah, I did. Hey, I did. I did give y'all a thirty point triple double. I should. Hey, but, hey, but remember, I hey, did. they tried to put, <laughs> hey, but they tried to put us on him. We all had to go out of more. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Shit was that the shit. worst, bro. But look, hey, but look, hey, but let me. Hey, I remember this though. So look, this is what happened, right? So they, they, they got, they started a Donald Foyle, right? So some kind of thing happened on a fast break where you dunked on O'Donnell so bad. <laughs> Nelly, hey, Nelly didn't play him no more. I just let me and Matt deal with you the rest of the game. <laughs> Nelly didn't even play him no more, dog. Yeah, man. That was like at least filing. O'Donnell, you the biggest guy there. At least filing, bro. Yeah, man. At the end of this time. Yeah, Y'all yeah, look like I you had a lot of fun, man. man. Man, I was taking that was man, I was no mercy, bro. I was playing with no mercy, man. But the thing is, <laughs> the thing is, boy, we, you know what I'm saying? We just hey, we, we ready to attack, man. We was always in attack mode, you feel me? And so, you know, anytime we get an open court, man, everybody had the had the had the, the green light to attack and shoot when they're open. And that made the game a lot of fun for us out there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 2005, yeah. that uh, playoff year, you guys are the top seed in the West. You beat Memphis. You beat Dallas. Uh, Joe Johnson fractures his eye bone in game two, misses the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. And then you guys run into the Spurs in the Western Finals. Yeah, yeah. That's tough, man, because the Spurs, the Spurs um, have a system that they run. And so when it comes down to the postseason, they, the, experience, the, the experience is what kind of prevailed. You know what I'm saying? The playoffs. And for us, we're such a young team. We were still trying to figure that experience out. And so we, even though we was like stacked up against each other almost evenly, it's just that the experience of them mm-hmm. knowing how to play, knowing where to get that basket when it's like how to close out quarters, how to execute down the stretch. How the to small shit the that matters. Yeah. yeah. Your side of bounce plays, all these things, mm-hmm. they made sure they took care of all those. And so it was tough to beat them, man. We couldn't, we couldn't get over the hump that year. Next season, cartilage damage, you get microfracture. And that's a scary surgery back in those. I mean, it's still a scary surgery, but particularly back then. Uh, you know, that's one of those serious surgeries where a lot of people don't actually get the blood circulating back to their knee, and, and, and it could be a wrap. You came back, played all 82 games, and, and averaged 20. How, how challenging, how hard did you put yourself through rehab to be able to come back like you did miss a beat. That nigga, man, that nigga robot, dog. <laughs> For real, that shit crazy, always, bro. Everybody, every, everybody always said that, like, all the surgeries this motherfucker thing went through, and he come back still dunking. Some people couldn't dunk when they got drafted. <laughs> 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 yeah, man, I was, uh, man, you know, it, 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 it was tough, bro. Honestly, I, I was contemplating, I was contemplating retirement. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, it, it was excruciating pain I was feeling at times. Um, I go out there on the court and I try to push through the push through the you know the comeback and it's like my knee would feel great one day, 
and it feels like it's about to fall off the next. Mm. I was like, man, this is just too much to deal with. And so I just persevered. I stayed with it. My family kept giving me encouragement. You know what I'm saying? And so I kept like pushing through and pushing through. And then once I got over the hump where I started feeling better, um, and then, you know, I was like, man, I'm back. And so I was doing a lot of cardio. I was training. I was listening to all my training staff about proper sleep, about how to exercise properly and using proper technique. And so I was doing all that. You know what I'm saying? And then so when I came back that following year, I got first team All-NBA, got back to the all-star status, and I was like, I was on from there. I mean, you touched on something that, and that was well-spoken on. I got a chance to experience, but how great that medical staff over at Phoenix was. Yeah, they were top-notch, man. Yeah. They, really were. they were cutting edge yeah. because a lot, a lot of things that we're doing now as far as like, uh, you know, from the technology of the equipment that we have now and then using like the corrective exercises to kind of get your body warmed up and work on certain muscles that trigger certain areas. They were the They've ones on who started it. that whole movement. Yeah. 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 And so yeah. Aaron and Aaron and what was the cowboy? Who, who, who were them dudes? Yep. Man, they was yep. a cool Aaron, little crew. Aaron, Aaron Nelson, Mike Elliott, yeah. those guys. Yeah. 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 Good crew, man. Shout that crew out, man. So, but you come back like the thing when I, when I was reading over this stuff today, what tripped me out is you come back and you played 82 games after a microfracture surgery. And we've been talking, you know, throughout our time on this podcast, like 82 used to be a badge of honor. Like that's what everyone wanted to play. No one was trying to sit out for any reason. And the fact that you came off a of microsactor surgery and played 82 games just spoke to what it used to be like and what the goal we used to aspire. Like everyone wanted to play 82 games back then. Right, absolutely. Not not, not no more. They they hang out too late and they got a hangover headache. And if that lasts two days, they're not going to play. <laughs> Shit has changed. Yeah, it's for sure changed, bro. Like back then, we like 82 games. You're right, it's a badge right. of honor, man. I played every game. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I was in the battlefield every night. I didn't take no days off, no time off. It's like we're getting active every single night and no rest and none of that. Now, oh, in today's game, it's a, whole, it's, a whole, it's a whole different situation now, boy. They want to take days off and rest and recover and time management, load management and all that. Back in the day, we was like, we was getting active, you know? Regardless. <laughs> Get it how you live. Right. Whether, hey, whether you felt like it or not. You know what I mean? It right, was just exactly. what you, whether you whether you was hungover or not, whether you was hurt enough yeah, to still play through, or man. not. Like you just played regardless. You might sweat right. that shit out. Or- that one, that, hey Matt, that one game you want to rest. That same motherfucker into the bench that been dying to get out there might oh, take yeah. your minutes in one game. You never know, right, man. Come on, right. that that next dog is always waiting. Uh, Two thousand seven, uh, second seed. You guys end up making a strong push um, and running to San Antonio again. Talk to us about Tired that matchup. Huh? Man, man, we, see, we saw the Spurs. <laughs> all, all we kept hearing our sleep, go Spurs, go. <laughs> go Spurs. Like, I'm waking up, I'm waking up man, having nightmares. Like, man, I can't, what's going on, man? <laughs> every, every year we ran into the Spurs, man, and they, and they always were like, again, they always were like well-oiled machine, bro. They knew what to do. They knew how to handle business. They knew how to, how to prepare themselves. Um, the veteran guys, they were like on point with everything. They made pop made the proper adjustments down the stretch. Um, and so again, man, we had a hard time getting over the hump with them. But y'all had a, uh, to me, I mean, I'm, y'all had a good check. That was the, the series that was 2-2 that Robert Ori ended up uh, hip checking Steve into the thing. You and I think Boris get suspended for a game for just stepping over the line, which was some bullshit. Bullshit. And like, yeah, I, but I felt you guys had a real chance. I thought that would have definitely went, you know, could have changed the whole momentum of, of the series with the, those suspensions. 
Yeah, man, no question, bro. Yeah. No question, because, you know, when, when that happened with Robert Horry, when he, when he kind of chin-checked Steve, Steve, I don't know if he flopped or what, but when I saw him flying into the scoreboard, he I went hard. Seen the, I haven't ever seen nothing like that before. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm like, I'm looking, I'm walking up the court like, what's going on? Like, what, is he all right? Like, what happened? Like, you know what I'm saying? And so we had no idea that that would lead to a suspension. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so we sit back waiting on, waiting on Stu Jackson to make the call on, on whether we're going to play or not for game five. And I'm like, man, it's the playoffs, man, for sure. Yeah, we, we, we'll get a warning. Like, I'm almost, I'm almost for certain that we're not going to get suspended. Like, it'd be a warning. It's the first time we ever did this. And he came back with a suspension call. I'm like, what? Then, you crazy. know, it's, it's crazy, it's crazy, man. I mean, I couldn't, I went over to Sotomayor's downtown. I had a restaurant across the street from the arena. You know what I'm saying? So I went over there, took the family over there, and we watched, because we, we weren't allowed to go to the, to the arena to watch the game. Mm. So I just went to the restaurant across the street, and I watched the game in there, and I saw we had a chance to win game five. It was, it was a close game, but we ended up losing, man. That was, that was, that was yep. heartbreaking. Absolutely. I know that was hard. Especially, I mean, to your, your, your front court. Boris was right. a monster. Boris was an right. underrated monster. For sure. And we, I mean, obviously, you already know what you was doing. So fast forward, 2008, lose Spurs. So that's when Powell goes to the Lakers and, and they make a run at it. Uh, 2009 um, is when I had an opportunity to play with you. But I remember, was it, was it training camp that uh, you, had, you got a detached retina? I thought your eyeball, like literally, I thought your shit was going to come out. I remember that day. Yeah, man. I was, uh, I was in training camp, bro. It was like uh... – I think it was in Tucson. Remember we had a scrimmage that day. We had a scrimmage. We weren't even at the facility. We went somewhere and scrimmaged. Yeah, and you we guys were going Tucson. for a loose ball in the corner. Exactly. And who, 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 who poked your eye? It was Boards. Boards D.I. Yes. Yes. So that I, shit was so bad, when I, man. When I hit the ground, I was like, man, what's going on? I'm like, I'm telling the training staff, like, I can't open my eye. I just can't open it. And he's like, Amari, relax. Your eye is open. Then that's when I panicked. I'm mm. like, wait. My eyes open. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Yeah, Say that, that again. Shit was fucked up, bro. So when I so when I hit the ground, I'm sitting there like I can't open my eye. I can't open it. And then the trainer staff was like, "Amari, relax. Your eye is open." So that's that's Ooh. that's when my heart dropped because I couldn't see not one speck of light. Mm. I'm like I'm like, wait, what? My eyes open, but I can't see anything. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So mm. I was like, oh man. So like they're like, don't panic, don't panic, relax. I'm like, I can't see, I can't see. And so they dropped like eye drops in there and then, you know, gave me like five minutes or so. Ten minutes passed by, I started seeing like a little bit of light. I'm like, all right, cool, it's getting better. And then I saw some more light five, ten minutes later, and then I then it, it eventually got back to a blurry state, and then it got back to like a hundred percent eventually. Um and then so I went on and played like half the season. And for some reason, my eye was feeling like a little bit, like a little lazy kind of before the game. And, and we played the Clippers that night. So I went out. So before the game, I went to the training staff. I said, listen, I want to, you know, I want to get my eye checked out and I get back to Phoenix. And so I get in the game, play the Clippers. I got 45 that night. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So I'm going back to Phoenix. I go see the eye doctor just for like a routine checkup. He comes to me and says, Amari, you got to have an emergency procedure. You have a detached retina. I'm like, what? I'm like, man, well, hold on. What's a retina? <laughs> what do you mean? Emergency procedure. <laughs> like, we got, you know, we got a game. Right. We got a game Wednesday. He's like, your season's over. I'm like, what? 
Mm. I had 45 last night. What you mean my season's over? Like, hold on, man. So that's, and then I had to go through that surgery. And then in order to recover from that, I had, they put a gas bulb in my eye to keep the retina attached. So in order for, to, in order for that gas bulb to stay on the retina to reattach it, I had to lay face down mm. for 22 hours a day for 10 days straight. I remember that shit. Mm. Damn. That was some real shit. Needless to say, our, be- oh, our best player goes down, so we, we missed the playoffs crazy. that year. Uh, but no, I remember that eye injury, bro. Like, we was bro, all... 22 it was like hours a day for 10 face days. Down. Face down. Face down. Man. Man, listen, the time we was like, all right, you got a doctor appointment today. I'm like, yes, man. I can, I can look up. <laughs> I can go outside, look around. Like, I'm about to go... I was going to Disney World or something, man. <laughs> right, just to it's get crazy. out of the spot. 2010 Western Conference Finals. Lakers, you was battling with Kobe. <clears throat> what was that like? You know, we all we missed we missed Kobe. We lost Kobe this year, but a lot of people didn't get a chance to battle with him. Y'all had some good battles in the playoffs. What was that like? Yeah, man, Kobe. Kobe <clears throat> Kobe was a force to be reckoned with, man. I battled Kobe my whole career, basically. When I first got to Phoenix, it was Shaq and Kobe, and then it was then when they brought in Gasol and them. So in 2010, you know, they had Ron Artest at the time, Metal World Peace. Um, and so they had, they had a solid team, you feel me? And so but we did too. But every time we played Cole, Cole always pull it right out the hat, man. He always do something spectacular, man, to change the whole momentum. <laughs> I'm like, hold on, man. This cat, it, it, we sent double teams at him. He fade. Didn't matter. He turned away from the double team, fade on the baseline. You know what I'm saying? He, hesitation, split two, dunk one time. I'm like, hold on, man. It's crunch time. Like, we got to stop Kobe. I'm like, Grant, I'm telling Grant, I'm telling Grant Hill, man, hey, man, tighten up, man. <laughs> but one nothing, one nothing we can do, bro. One nothing we can do, man. Cole, Cole, Cole was special, yeah. bro. It was like, it was like, I ain't never seen nothing like it. Mm-hmm. So that ends up, that 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 ends your time. Did you knew, did, did you have a feeling? Was it in the air? Had, did you have thoughts? I mean, obviously there was trade talks when you decided to take your talent to the Knicks. How did that come about? Yeah, you know what? There was there was some trade talks in the year prior, and I'm like, man, listen, we 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 only want we if if Kobe shot a corner air ball, Ron Artest caught the ball and scored at the buzzer. You know what I'm saying? And we were right there, you know, Western Conference Finals. Got a chance to go to the to the finals. We only one game away, and so I'm like, listen, I just bought a crib in the Biltmore area. I'm looking to set up shop. My family's here. You know what I'm saying? I, I spend my summers in Phoenix. I'm always here. I'm, I'm doing everything for the community. I'm like, I'm locked into Phoenix. You know what I'm saying? And so I get into I get into negotiating meetings and, and negotiations didn't go as planned. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm like, hey man, you know, hey, it is what it is. They're like, well, I got guys that can replace you tomorrow. I'm like, man, you talking like that to me? Who said who, who said that? Who said that? Robert, this is what Sarah was saying. Like, I got, I got hey, Robert, hey, you. he's a that bitch. Man brought, that man Straight brought up. in Hedo Turkaloo. He's a that bitch. That man brought in Hedo Turkaloo <laughs> and Josh Childrens. And I say, man, you got to be kidding me, man. So I he's ended up going bitch. to New York. I went to the Knicks, man. 
<laughs> nah, I ain't mad at you. Hey, Jack, nah, Jack, up, Jack, Jack, he's a clown. Man. I mean, you you heard. I mean, I, I fuck with, I fuck with Hito, I fuck with Hito, and and and. But come on, man, like no, cut it guys. out. But but the fact, but the fact that he, but I'm saying the fact that he's talking to his franchise player like that just shows what kind of clown yeah. he is. Yeah, and then some I'm some sucker some sucker shit he said about me when I left got back to me. That's why, was it the year after I went, or maybe two years later, I got fined twenty five thousand. We're telling him to shut the fuck up before I smack the shit out of him, right? I think it was right in front of his wife, but I wasn't even talking to him, and he was over there in the corner chirping, and I already didn't like him. I already didn't like him, so he started talking crazy. I turned around off the foul, like, I'll come over there and slap the shit out of you right now. Got, oh, bam, 25,000. Man, man, they ain't, they ain't made the playoffs since. Crazy, they ain't made the playoffs since. He's, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm, he, I'm, like, I'm like, listen, man. You got if, if if you're concerned with anything from a physical standpoint, you're not having faith in your training staff. The training staff, the best in the league, they're gonna make right. sure guys stay healthy. And you got a hell of a combination with Staten Nash. Mm. You 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 yeah. willing to break that up? You really you gotta, you willing you, to break that up? Right. You gotta let that ride. Yeah. Let, let the, you know what I'm saying? Literally, you gotta let the wheels fall off of that until they do. Yeah, because yeah. Nash yep. Nash already his mid thirties. You know what I'm saying? I'm in my I'm in my like mid to late twenties. Even if we mm-hmm. played another five years together and, and Nash decided to retire and then whatever happens from there, but you gotta you gotta see what we can do at least. Right. And so right. when that when that didn't happen, man, I went to New York and we got it popping up in New York. Yes, sir. Uh when you decided to go to New York, was it a process where you had talked to anybody else about possibly coming with you or were they telling you that they were going after anybody else? Yeah, I mean I mean I mean when I when I when fragrancy hit, it was like it was a big fragrancy that year. You know what I'm saying? Everyone was everyone. LeBron, everybody was like a fridge in that year. Mm-hmm. And so um, Miami Heat was the first thing that called me. Pat called me. We talked on the phone. I talked to the Rockets. I talked to the Nets at the time. It was the Jersey Nets at the time. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so I talked to I talked to the few teams and, I, and the Knicks. And so I spent a lot of time in New York in my child years. I was raised in Port Jervis, New York. And so I was always like, you know what I'm saying? I always I had a love for New York. Even though I was a Bulls fan, my, I was an MJ fan growing up, but still I had love for the Knicks and the Bull and, and New York growing up. So when 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 Mike D'Antoni was there in New York and, the, and the, some of the coaching staff that I was with here in Phoenix was already there, I'm like, this might be a, a nice fit for me to just go there and kind of pick up where I left off. And so that's when I that's when I decided to go to New York and you know and, and uh, yeah, I wanted to bring some guys with me. I talked about bringing CP, I talked about bringing Tony Parker, I talked about bringing Melo. You know what I'm saying? I, I ended up bringing Melo to New York. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I was already on that, like, bringing players in to the city to make things happen here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so that was the whole mission. That's what's up. What was it like becoming a Nick, though? Like, what was that experience like? Like, what, like, a lot of people want to play in the Garden. A lot of people want to play for the Knicks. Just that experience of playing in the Madison Square Garden is one thing being there, watching the game, watching Spike and all of them. But actually being a player for the New York Knicks, one of the best players coming out of that locker room every day, dealing with the media and all that, what is it like actually being a New York Knicks player? Man, I enjoyed it, man. I really did. I, I think at that time the front office was, like, on point. We had, we had, we had, we had, you know, solid GMs. We had Dunny Walsh there. We had Glenn Gore. We had, you know, Dunny Walsh doing a heck of a job. Um, That's my guy. You know, he was doing a heck of a job in New York, and everything was running perfectly from an organization standpoint. And then, so when I was there with the Knicks, it was like, you know, um, everything is top notch. 
everything. You got the Rockettes performing at halftime. You got you got Taylor Swift doing a pregame like a pregame uh, uh, um, intro for the Knicks. My family meeting there, their favorite artist. Everything was ran class A. You got Broadway shows. I was going to the Met Gallas in fashion. I was one of the first guys to go to the fashion shows and sit, you know what I'm saying, sit front row with Anna Wintour. I was going to the to the operas, you know what I'm saying? I put on the tuxedo and go to the opera, any, you know what I'm saying? Like I was doing all that New York Yeah, some grown man shit. I love, I love hearing about the off court because although it wasn't yeah. a championship type team, it's still, you guys made the playoffs obviously, but it's still New York, you know, similar to LA. Like there's yep. no experience like being a Laker, but then that experience like being the Nick is right there. You know what I mean? Because right. New York is obviously live, so it's dope to hear like all the shit off the court that came with it. Because you guys are doing your job on the court. Yeah, nobody was doing that. I'm like, listen, man. I'm like, <laughs> right. No, <laughs> Let me nobody show you. live in the city. I'm yeah. like, don't know. Everyone's, no, out, no, at no white, everyone's out in White Plain. White Plain. Yeah, everyone's out in like, White Plain. That shit's like, man. <laughs> man, listen. I find me a penthouse in the city. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, I'm gonna enjoy New York and also yeah, hold myself yeah. accountable to being the player I need to be to make this team a playoff team. You know what I'm saying? Right. But, yeah, it was definitely a vibe. Mm-hmm. So, despite a big season, you guys uh, go down to Boston uh, and come across an injury in 2012. And after that, it never really seemed like you were – no one's really paying for you, but you were injury-ridden uh, the rest of your time in New York. Yeah, I was struggling, man. I, I, I had a um, – I was uh, – after, like, this like third year – Started having like a, you know some minor little injuries that would add up, and I was trying to get myself together, but I couldn't find the right proper technique with the training with the training situation, and so uh, I was having some knitting that situation, like going through that whole process, and I couldn't really get it figured out, and so for like two and a half years, I was ridden with like little small little injuries that was affecting me, but I also felt positive about it because you know bringing in Melo. Mello was able to somewhat carry the load, even though it was tough for him to be by himself. But he was still able to carry the load and try to do what he could to make sure the team was still being successful uh, while his big dog was still trying to get himself together. So, you know, it was definitely a tough stretch there in the last two two years or so. Well, go into a little bit, obviously, uh, of how mentally tough that is. I mean, you were a, a rising superstar, uh, multiple-time all-star. You know, if it wasn't for the Spurs – would have definitely touched the finals, possibly won a ring, but then just not to be able to contribute when you're playing on the biggest stage. I mean, Madison Square Garden is the mecca. You know what I mean? You, you spoke on how fun off the court was because you guys are doing your job on the court. How mentally tough was it being able to get over those hurdles knowing that, like, God damn, like, I know how good I am. I just can't do what I'm supposed to do because I'm hurt. Yeah, it was tough. It was tough, man. I mean, it really was. I mean, it took it took a lot of mental mental strength in order to, like, understand how to – I had to mentally get over that, get over the hump. I mean, I went, I was trying everything, bro. I went vegan for four months, trying to make sure I eat properly and make sure my body gets the op- optimum opportunity to heal and get healthy. Um, I was doing it all, bro. I was trying to keep myself in order. I was getting proper rest and everything, just trying to do whatever I can. And to not be able to, you know what I'm saying, to get out there and perform on certain nights was tough for me. You know what I'm saying? But my family kept me, kept me focused. You know what I'm saying? My children, my babies kept me locked in. Like when I go home and see, they smile and they hug me no matter what. Mm-hmm. That kind of right. brought me back to a humble, humble experience. Um, so that helped me along the way. When did the red wine bath recovery routine begin? And does that <laughs> shit really work? Hey, listen, man. I was, man, I was, I was, I was, uh, 
you know, this, this this female friend I was I was um, you know, talking with, she gave me a gift, right? And she gave me a gift, and, and the gift was to go to this ancient bath place. And you go in there, it's like um, it's like very romantic. You have like the hot tub. You got a, Send me the Addy. You got the salt <laughs> bath, you got the cold plunge, you got all this, and then the gift for me was like to take this wine bath. I'm like a wine bath. What's like, what a wine bath for? So I go in there, you know what I'm saying? Take the wine, get it, I get into the bath. It's like half wine, half water. It's like 98 degrees, 100 degrees in the bath. They bring you ice water and also they bring you a glass of wine and just relax. And so I was doing it, man. I took a little selfie shot and it went viral. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But yeah, anytime I had a day off, I go there and all the all the baths, right? The salt bath, which helps with body rejuvenation, the cold plunge, I contrast between cold and hot. You know what I'm saying? I jump in the wine bath. It was like a nice little day of recovery for me. And so that's what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. So you started doing that as a regular routine. How much would one of those wine baths cost? Because you said you only you you only uh soak in the finest of wines. Man. <laughs> hey, man, you, hey, you gotta hey, you gotta cut the check, baby. You gotta cut the check. Yeah, so I'm saying, so how much would a wine, how much would a, how much would a wine bath cost? I, I need to know. I'm a port, I'm a port drinker, my Amar. Yeah, stat, stat. I love drinking ports. That's my thing. Ports. I love ports. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, man. For sure, I be sitting on that cab, Cabernet. I wanted to know what was your most expensive wine bath. The most expensive wine bath. Yeah. Man, gotta add some zeros to that. Yeah, cause you a bit you, <laughs> hey, you, you a big you big motherfucker, so it's gonna take a lot of bottles. Hey, facts, I'm telling you. Uh, it, it, actually, you know what the bath, the tub sits four people, so it's like a. Big, I seen big, it. Big, yeah, I seen yeah. the thing you did on ESPN. Yeah, so that was big yeah. as shit. Yeah, yeah. So from uh, you leave uh, the Knicks in 2015, sign with Dallas. Uh, bounce around a little bit then you head off to Israel what 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 made you choose Israel did you feel like your time in the NBA was up you wanted a new challenge something different what what, what made you go over the water yeah I, bounced, I went from Dallas to Miami I played one year with the Heat and then um, then I went to Israel so so the team in Jerusalem I became part owner of in 2012 oh dope and so I figured I figured I might as well go over there and just help raise the equity of the team and also, and also learn while I'm over there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so that's so that was part of the process of why I decided to go over to Israel is for both reasons, to, to, to learn and also uh, to try to raise the act of the other team. Mm, I'm Michael Jordan. I play for the team I own. How were you embraced? You mean, obviously, NBA superstar uh, goes over there and, and plays for the team he owns. What was that fandom like? Because if you, I, I never got a chance to play overseas, but I just when we went over, when we go over there in the preseason, or you see other sporting events, European fans are over the top. So I'm sure the love was crazy for you out there. Man, it was crazy, bro. It was crazy. I mean, I had my own song, I had my own chant. Um, <laughs> it was crazy, man. Every, every every game was like fans outside waiting for us. When I traveled to Europe. We went to different places over in Europe. There's fans there with, you know, with posters and cards for autographs and photos. Um, and then I won a championship that year over there. My first year over there also was like, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it was incredible, man. It was, it was a great experience. Mm-hmm. Once you won the championship overseas, you're a god to them. I won a championship in the in, uh, Dominican Republic. 
oh shit was that 98 99 and i still get texts and dms for them asking me to come back they they carried me matt from the arena to our little neighborhood which is called pueblo nuevo was like five blocks from the arena they carried me in my uniform from out the arena five blocks down to my house that's dog. dope this, this, so they, I'm just saying it to say overseas, they really appreciate the game and they fans are loyal. You win a championship for them, they love you forever. I think, t- I think they did that, Jack, texting you and shit still because they want you to come back and check on your kids you left over there. <laughs> I'm, hey, but you, hey, hey, but I've never been in denial. You know what I'm saying? I was 18, 19. I've never seen that many beautiful women. I so I might have one. Or two, I might, I might have one or two over there. I'm about to tell hey, you that's why they was they, they still DMing you and texting bad numbers. Like, man, this motherfucker had a kid here in '98. Ain't seen him since. <laughs> hey, hey, I let me, I me. They probably 18 now, so I'm good. <laughs> so I'm good. You stupid. <laughs> So, so you decided to uh, convert to uh, Judaism. When did that? Uh, what? Uh, what inspired that? Yeah, so I grew up an Israelite, you know. So, so, so I was always kind of engulfed in like the biblical understanding, and I was always like in tune with, uh, with, with, with the Bible. You know what I'm saying? So, what I wanted to do is learn more details of what, you know, what I'm saying what the Bible is really saying, and then, and then. And so what I was able to do is really get engulfed in like the learning from a deeper magnitude and to all, all the details of like the intricate learnings. And so once I realized there's a structure of that, once I realized there's a way that you can really like learn all the blessings and how to build a close relationship with God, I was like, this is where, this is where I need to be. And I realized that, you know, mm-hmm. the ideal of like, you know, obviously Judaism, but obviously like just being a Bible scholar the ideal is just to be able to to live like the prophets lived, and how to really, how to connect yourself with a total with a total aspect of righteousness. And how do you do that? Because I was searching for that, you know what I'm saying, for a long time. And so that's that's kind of what led me to like going through the conversion um, uh, in Israel. So so that's it dope. sounds like a special place, you man. You got over there and and got to finish playing your career with the championship and an MVP and then, you know, convert to something you've always been interested to. So that kind of ties me in. I mean, you were someone, I mean, if you don't get it, like people see you on the court as like a monster and, and a killer, but when it comes to details and, 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 and art and, and all these in, in wines and the, the sophistication fashion. of life, fashion, you're into all that. Where did you pick up just all the nuances of, of life? Cause, cause, cause you live it good. You know what's funny, man? You know, to be honest with you, like, even with my troubling childhood growing up and having to move to run from the police, you know what I'm saying, from one state to the next and all that. But I was I was able to kind of somewhat um, learn from different cultures on where we moved to. You feel me? So we moved from, like, Florida to New York, from New York to Atlanta, from so Atlanta okay. to North Carolina. You know what I'm saying? So I'm in the, I'm in the mix of all these different cultures and learning from all these different vibes to where, you know, as I become, you know, a young man, all that that I experienced is still instilled in me. You know what I'm saying? So as I come across those experiences again later on in life, it just becomes natural to kind of reconnect to all those different elements that I was already somewhat, you know, somewhat experiencing when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So your journey as a player comes to an end the same year your new journey begins. How are you excited are you for this next chapter uh, and what's going to be an amazing book of your life? 
Yeah, I'm excited, man. I am excited. I think, you know, the opportunity now is just not like I'm in business school right now, so I'm going for my master in business. So I'm locking in on that and just trying to really trying to get myself in a position where I'm able to like really have a career outside of basketball. Um, and then this journey with like into the coaching space or to the front office space, whatever that may lead to, you know, it's, it's an interesting moment in my life at the moment to be able to like really capitalize on that and then build relationships with the players um, and be able to help school them on how to be successful on and off the court. Um, and so I think it's, it's a great transition from playing because I played last year. I just played like three months ago. I was mm-hmm. the MVP of the finals, and right. I got a I had a contract on the table to go back over and play. So I could still be very well playing right now, professional basketball. But I but I rather just kind of come in and really start my after playing career uh, sooner than later. No, it's fun. Hey, hey, hey! Uh, I told Matt that I'm, I I plan on going back and getting my business degree. Man, uh, I'm gonna be calling your phone so you can walk me through that because you know neither one of us been to college, so that's gonna be. <laughs> I know that was a step. That's that's the step and the focus you got to really lock in. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely plan on st- taking that stage, bro. So I'm gonna need your advice on yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my thing my thing is always have like someone you can study with, like a tutor, somebody who probably already have been there, or or someone who's like into business already, and already like involved mm-hmm. in that space. So that way you can always like learn with them, and they can help you along the way. Because a lot of that stuff I, I I never heard before. A lot of terms, a lot of situations within that within that schooling process that I need to help with. And so I have a tutor that I kind of study with and we both kind of learn together and it helps me kind of learn as we go. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. Don't miss one minute of the action. Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all. But I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's it. going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because it ain't it? <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. 
Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. If you can tell a story on your career, what do you want to be remembered as uh, your NBA legacy? I mean, honest with you, I mean, I was I, I was a fierce air player. You feel me? Like I attacked the rim and every by any means. You know what I'm saying? But I think I think the ideal of of, of my career is that I was able to persevere. You know, not only not only through life, as we talked about earlier. But also through like the ups and downs, yeah, also, and also through like the, the the injuries of my career, being able to persevere and still come back, play eighty two games, and then become first team All NBA, and then still be, you know get six time All NBA, and still play eighteen years of professional mm-hmm. basketball despite all that. So the perseverance, you know, is is, is kind of where it's at. As far as a basketball player, I mean, I, I I've, I've I was a part of an evolution of the game with the, with the Suns. We we we, we kind of you know somewhat changed the game in a way. We kind of evolved the game and pushed the game forward. Um, and I think that's very important in, in 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 NBA history for the guys who were able to push the game forward and change the game in a positive way is important. Um, and then when it comes when it comes to like postering guys or attacking the rim, I mean I, it's only it's only a few guys I can think of. That, that attacked the rim, you know what I'm saying, with more force than I did, you know what I'm saying? Only a few guys I could think right. of. So, you know, as, you know, I'm, I'm proud of what I've been able to accomplish, man. I thank God for allowing me to play 18 years and still be able to maintain a career and provide for my family. Um, so it, it was a success for me. When you look back on an 18-year career, anything you'd change? Um... I mean, it's not too. I, I, I look at I look at it as if I made the right decisions. I mean, my ideal situation was have been was to play with the Suns all the way through, and me and Steve kind of rock out until we both retired. That was that would have been the ideal situation for me. But I don't take the the experience I had in New York was like I could never duplicate that again in my life. It was something that was amazing, amazing experience. So I can I can't really change anything because it all it all made me who I am today, you know. All right, man, we're coming down the home stretch. Here go quick hitters. Uh, top five artists, any genre of music. Top five artists, any genre of music. Tupac Shakur. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, sir. Marvin Gaye. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Um, Frank Sinatra. Mm. Okay. Um, uh, let's see. Man, we got um, artists, right? We're talking about artists, Andre 3000. Oh, that's um, a good what's one. That, what's that, four? Mm-hmm. That's four, and yeah. Then, and then I'm going with I'm going with Michael Jackson. Good. Mm. Tough. Well-rounded list. Well-rounded list. What teammate you played with that gave you some memorable career advice? Uh, Shaq. Shaq, Shaq mm. was my teammate who gave me the most 
advice from a career standpoint, whether it's business, um, whether it's entrepreneurship, whether it's basketball terms. Um, you know, I think Shaq, Shaq is the one that gave me a lot of, a lot of positive advice um, that helped me out a lot. Hey, I, I, I've been wanting to get Shaq bad on the phone or on the show just to talk about the shit he would do in our fucking locker room, bro. <laughs> Remember what kind of wild ass shit he would be doing Shaq's every crazy, fu- hey, fucking with Lou. I'm Big old oh, kid. Now, Jack, you have no idea what kind of shit this motherfucking Shaq was on <laughs> in the locker room, bro. Unbelievable. Hey, Unbelievable. Crazy, man. Crazy, crazy as fuck. Man. There was no rules. Like there was no like. Are you serious? Like the nigga had no filter when it came to playing games. It was unbelievable. Yeah, man. Shout <laughs> man. Uh, a pickup game at the best park in the world. Who are four other players you're taking with you? Pickup game. Steve. Uh, pickup game. I, I for sure. I for sure bring Nash with me. Um, is it like random play, random players or like yeah yeah anybody anybody you want man I'm bringing I'm bringing the best black top in the world man I'm bringing my I'm bringing I'm bringing I'm bringing a lot of a lot of legends I played with I'm bringing Jonathan Hargit you know what I'm saying from VA I'm bringing my man uh I'm bringing my man Tyrone Sally which y'all ain't never heard of these cats man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> A lot, of, a lot of my homies. <laughs> a lot of my homies. Yeah, got a game. Dogs. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then if we go NBA, man, if I bring, if I put Shaq and MJ on the court, we good. Mm, mm. Hey, two, two of them niggas he named still got on uh, house monitor. They on house <laughs> yeah, arrest right now. They can't. They, 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 <laughs> <laughs> they got to get the My boy Jonathan Hargit played at West Virginia. Both him and Tyrone Sally. I played at Mount Zion with both of those guys. Jay Hargit had like a 45 inch vertical lead point guard. Tyrone Taylor was like six eight wing player. They both play college basketball. Hmm. Shout out, shout out to the bros. Mm-hmm. Name one player you always wanted to play with. I wanted to play with LeBron. Mm-hmm. I felt like I felt like LeBron and I have a similar similar mindset when it comes to like trying to dominate the game. You know what I'm saying? And being mm-hmm. able to have like that killer instinct on the court. You know what I'm saying? And, and applying leadership in ways that not only vocal leadership but also like you know, example leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, important. yeah, man, I, I wanted to play with LeBron because I saw a lot of similarities when it comes to those attributes with me and my, with myself. That's what's up. Uh, yeah. Five dinner guests, dead or alive, for a night of conversation. Five dinner guests. Uh, Muhammad Ali. Um, Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tupac Shakur. Uh, was that three? Mm-hmm. That's three. Um, Abraham Lincoln. Mm. Mm. Uh, and I'm probably going to go with, man, the fifth one, I'll probably go with uh, Maya Angelo. Ooh, good call. Maya Angelo, nice. That's a nice five. Next question. Your answer. You have to help us with your answer, okay? Okay. What guests you want to see on our show? What guests want to see on All the Smoke? I'm probably want to. I would love to see Kendrick Lamar on All the Smoke. Oh, good 
Good call. Oh, a K dot. You hear that, K dot? <laughs> you got a line on K dot? You got a line on K dot? K dot, K dot, K dot. I've been chilling lately, man. I know he's cooking up something in the lab. I know he oh, is. Oh, it's going to be, yeah. It's going to be scary. I can't wait to hear it. With all this shit going on, you know he in there. Oh, man, I can't wait. He in there thinking. Tupac coming back. Yeah, man, facts. All right, Amari Stoudemire, man, we appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Uh, Good luck this season uh, with the Nets and in your next chapter of life, man. Yeah, man. Jack, good work. Great show, fellas, man. Much success. Keep up the good work, fellas. We appreciate it, man. We respect it. Thank you, bro. Appreciate it. Hey, hey, Stad, I appreciate you. And we got to get together and get on one of these ports, man, when you get some time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. All right, Femmo. Hey, that's a wrap. All the smoke. You can catch us on Showtime Basketball YouTube and the High Heart platform. Black Fizzle. Black Effects. Hey. See y'all next time. This is All the Smoke, a production of the Black Effect and iHeart Radio in partnership with Showtime. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears, real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. Don't miss one minute of the action. Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC. Got my PrevNAR 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk? Get vaccinated. But but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't give Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.